Well, what do you think? Should the Beatles be uh, canceled? Do you think the Beatles would be canceled this day and age for these songs? will happen a podcast about the largest beatles music festival in the u.s abbey road on the river celebrating our 20th anniversary may 26th to 30th 2022 i'm melissa one of the organizers of the festival and i'll be talking about all things abbey road on the river held every memorial day weekend in jeffersonville indiana whether you're new to abbey road on the river or you're a festival regular if you love the beatles as much as we do you're in the right place this is something will happen something will happen Let's get started. Well, hi everyone. Welcome to Something Will Happen. And today I'm joined again by Emily, podcast editor, assistant, Abby Road the River assistant. I don't know what your title really is. We'll see. Yeah, I don't know. We should probably give me a title because I'm just a bit of everything right now. But hi guys, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> We're glad to have you. So today we're going to talk about some Beatles songs and Beatles lyrics that uh, we want to have a discussion about maybe these songs could be viewed as problematic in today's age. If they had come out today, maybe we'll uh, analyze if people would cancel the Beatles because of these songs or um, we're going to just have a good discussion on some more problematic lyrics in the Beatles catalog, (laughs) which maybe we don't really think about. So I have a couple songs that we're going to analyze. And then Emily has a few songs or stories. We're not going to cancel the Beatles in this podcast though. So yeah, don't worry. (laughs) We still love the Beatles. It's okay. Yes, we, we definitely love the Beatles. And so this is not a, a podcast about hating on the Beatles or saying like these songs are terrible or anything. We're just gonna, you know, analyze them in a you know more critical eye. We're gonna use you know some critical thinking and anal- analyzation of these songs. I don't know, just say our opinions on them. But so I wanted to start with one song that that I've always found problematic. This is actually my least favorite Beatles song because of the lyrics. And I'm sure everyone knows this is what this is run for your life is kind of a scary song. (laughs) Mm, Yes. Um, It's one that when I hear it, it's kind of, it's a little unnerving. It's a little like creepy and kind of like, who's this girl that John is singing about? Because let's go through the, I'm sure everyone knows about the song, but the, the song starts out by saying, well, I'd rather see you dead, little girl, than to be with another man, which is like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like, that's a little, that's so harsh to say. But I think back in the day, that was, you know, not that uncommon of a threat. I, I mean, it, it wasn't uncommon as a lyric, actually, because John came up with this lyric after hearing an Elvis song. Um, called Baby Let's Play House, where he says the lyrics to that song are, um, now listen to me, baby, try to understand. I'd rather see you dead, little girl, than to be with another man. Um, And then he's saying, you know, baby, come back, come back to me. I want to play house with you. 
And I've always heard that song. It's interesting. Like when I hear Elvis, when I listen to that song or Elvis songs, I'm like, wow, that's so weird how uh, the Beatles also had that lyric. And I always wondered if it was related or just like, oh, that's such a coincidence. A lot of people must have sung songs like that or written lyrics like that. Um, yeah. Well, I feel like the the theme of possession when it comes to women was very common back in that time. Mm-hmm. You know, people, I mean, we can talk on and on about feminism and how people viewed women as objects and still do to a certain extent, but it's gotten a lot better. But that was very, very common in music and pop culture and everything, especially back in that era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Baby Let's Play House by Elvis, I mean, it was written by Arthur Gunter in 1955, and it was also based on another I Want to Play House With You, a song from 1951, written for Eddie Arnold. So, but then, like, to have the Beatles do it, like, 10 years later, you know, in, when was, when was Run For Your Life written? Oh, okay, 1965. And so, just, like, I don't know. That's interesting that like 10 years later, it was still like, okay to say that when I don't know, it really isn't (laughs) today. It's really not okay to sing that kind of lyric. And it really goes along with John's kind of, because I mean, as we said before, it's credited to Lennon and McCartney, but really that's a John Lennon written song. And it goes back to his kind of jealousy that he's, dealt with a lot in his life. It comes up a lot in his music in general through the 60s. And then when he does some solo work later, I mean, we know the song Jealous Guy, where he kind of comes to terms with his jealousy and writes about how he used to be and, you know, how just that he has this jealousy. And I think in the time when he was writing, he didn't really know how to deal with it. And so he wrote these threats and kind of was coping with different lyrics. I don't know. I shouldn't psychoanalyze John that much. Yeah. Well, I mean, and like you said, not to over psychoanalyze or like oversimplify things and certainly not to excuse any behavior because that sort of behavior, no matter what the time or era is not okay. But there's definitely a thread where, mental health back in that day was not taken nearly as seriously. And especially the way men have been taught that they need to behave and portray themselves. And I know the Beatles broke a lot of ground with that, you know, with they came over to America with long hair and everyone was like, what are you doing? And, and they were breaking a lot of these gender norms and these stereotypes, but that doesn't mean that they weren't also affected by them. And one of them being him not knowing how to, properly show his emotion and and deal with his anger or his jealousy like he didn't know how to regulate that in Mm -hmm. a better way like I said not to excuse it's just interesting how he was affected in that way and how he had to learn from it and grow from it yeah yeah exactly and later um well there's an interview with John in 1970 where he talks about how he never liked the song Run For Your Life. Mainly, I mean, he says because he knocked it off from Baby Let's Play House and, you know, 
that he used the line, I'd rather see you dead little girl than to be with another man. And he said, so I wrote it around that, but I didn't think it was that important where he just kind of took it from another song and related with it and then wrote run for your life based on it. So he did, I don't know, but it was one of George Harrison's favorite, which is interesting. (laughs) Huh? That's really interesting. Yeah. (laughs) See, it's interesting how they were, um, the songs that they wrote oftentimes were inspired by other things that they had heard because one of the ones that I researched, so the opening line to when I saw her standing there, well, she was just 17. You know what I mean? In today's culture, that's a little like the 17. That's a child. Like we shouldn't be sexualizing children. Um, And that line always just hit me funny. I did not care for it. And, um, come to find out there is an old English folk song um, called 17 come Sunday. And Paul was inspired by that song when he was writing, when I saw her standing there Hmm. and that song is all sorts of creepy as well. Uh, (laughs) It's, it's way worse than when I saw her standing there, but it's interesting that these, some of these problematic lines and themes that we're seeing didn't even originate with them. It was just what they were absorbing. Mm-hmm. True. And I think that's interesting because when I was doing my research, most of the problematic lines that I was like narrowing in on were in the early, they were, you know, from when they started to like about 1965. Not that there aren't problematic lines afterwards, as you said, you know, a jealous guy that was when in his solo career after the Beatles broken up. But it seemed like those first few years, they were regurgitating a lot more of the themes that they had come across. And as they started to gain more life experience and meet more people, their music began to reflect that and their the way that they talked about women. A lot more women in their songs had names, not just mm-hmm. were referred to as girl. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting to see that that progression and how they had grown, like their worldview was growing and we could hear it in their music. Right. Yeah. That's a good observation with the, because they, for so many years, they just learned other people's songs and like played them on the stage just for other people. And then obviously that's what they were inspired by to start writing their own music. But I think that's, yeah, that's a good observation that as they grow or or learned more about the world, became more worldly, that they could better express themselves rather than, you know, John being like, oh, I just wrote that song, you know, I didn't think it was that important, you know, and just later on writing more, you know, reflective songs. Like even, even with Jealous Guy, I think he was coming to understand himself better even like being like I wrote it because I used to be so jealous and possessive about everything and very insecure and yeah I have a quote that he he said I was just a very jealous possessive guy a guy who wants to put his woman in a little box lock her up and just bring her out when he feels like playing with her she's not allowed to communicate with the outside world because it makes me feel insecure so I think that's really like you know come full circle of him realizing like he has that he has that in himself and he's writing about it like 
I'm just a jealous guy. And he like doesn't really, he still doesn't really know what to do with it, but at least he knows it's not right for the, the woman. And I don't know if that was like Yoko's influence on him um, because he wrote that when they were together or he was, you know, getting older and more mature and kind of realizing these things. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure Yoko had something to do with it. I mean, that's the older you get, the more you experience, you hopefully are growing and evolving on your own, but then the people you surround yourself with definitely help and Mm-hmm. He chose to surround himself with her. And so, you know, we have to believe that she definitely helped in his growth. Mm-hmm. I know people like to villainize Yoko, but <laughs> yeah, but you, you I definitely, <laughs> as you've said, I don't, I don't at all. Um, I think that, that that was just the way things were going and it was just the next phase. It was just how it needed to be and that she helped him grow. Uh, I don't think she's some monster that broke up the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. I don't either. Yeah. And it's like, it's really like kind of the the time. I mean, if we compare that time with now in terms of music and songwriting and just the way people behave, it's kind of like, you know, they, I mean, not to get into like the Yoko right now, but that was like the time period of women kind of trying to get more rights or more uh, equal rights. and and that was the time period of those kind of songs where people were trying to question them and kind of move forward into different outlets and different lyrics, singing about things that weren't just like bubblegum pop songs from the sixties. And that's all they had in that time. You know, like if we compare it to now, like, Oh, that's such a terrible song. It's like, well, that's just what life was. That's just what it was like. And, you know, that's just what that time period was like. And they did the best they can, you know, like Yoko did the best she could in that time, but she was still villainized because that was what people did. It was like, you know, this woman broke up the Beatles. Um, and who knows what that, what that reaction would have been like now. I think, you know, we kind of accept couple, you know, celebrity couples a lot more than back then, but that was just the time period. Yeah, well, I think it's also um, interesting, which I know that many different fan bases do this, and the Beatles are no exception. Um, fans tend to put the artists or you know whatever celebrity that they're a fan of on this sort of pedestal, and anything yeah. that that threatens or changes their view of who they believe they are gets villainized rather than understanding that these are three-dimensional human beings Mm. that have all sorts of gray area and they're not this idea of a person that you have in your head a lot of people feel like they know the Beatles and it's to an extent you put yourself in your art when you're an artist but there's also a separation and that doesn't mean that you know that person on a personal level and I feel like fans have a hard time. They, they form these parasocial relationships where they defend that person against all else without realizing the nuance and the gray area of just life and being a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I think like, as we're talking about John, that's such like, a, especially like around his 80th birthday, I feel like I mean, now we're like analyzing John as if we know him, but <laughs> um, <laughs> I think a lot came out about his his solo work last October, or was it 
October 2020, I can't, I don't know the year, <laughs> um, <laughs> where he was just such a, I think the reason his art and his lyrics and why we shouldn't cancel the Beatles because of this song, or we shouldn't cancel John because he wrote Run For Your Life, was that he showed his progression in life. And that was his art of just like showing who he was, good and bad all the time with his interviews, with his lyrics, with his music. and you know, later he can be like, oh, I wish I didn't write that or like, that's not my best work. But, you know, he showed he wasn't like qualified to be put on a pedestal. I mean, maybe he was, but he's not a perfect human being, which is what, as you like, we should all realize about celebrities or people we put on pedestals is like, and then, you know, we can knock them down if they do something wrong in our minds where it's just like, well, they're just human like everyone else and they're always going to make mistakes and that's something i love about john's work even this with this song run for your life or you know his other songs was just how much he showed that he showed that gray area he showed he was human and was flawed and could make mistakes and also write like amazing beautiful music and very inspiring lyrics also so yeah he definitely he was very outspoken in interviews and whatnot about not wanting to be put on a pedestal, not wanting to be viewed as that um, mm -hmm. because he understood that, as I said, people form this idea of a person in their mind and it does not match the three-dimensional person and it does not give that person room to grow or change like a real person does. And um, it's interesting. You were talking about him you know, interviews of him reflecting on lines that he has written. And one of the lines that I had brought up was from It's Getting Better, which mm. is mainly written by Paul, mm -hmm. but the most problematic line in the song was actually written by John. And it's the line, I used to be cruel to my woman. I beat her and kept her a part of the things that she loved, mm -hmm. which is awful. That is abusive. That's not okay. And then um, I have a quote from an interview from him where yeah. he's talking about that part of him. And the quote is, I used to be cruel to my woman and physically any woman. I was a hitter. I couldn't express myself. And I hit, I fought men and I hit women. That is why I'm always on about peace. You see, it is the most violent people who go for love and peace. Everything's the opposite, but I sincerely believe in love and peace. I am a violent man who has learned not to be violent and regrets his violence. I will have to be a lot older before I can face in public how I treated women as a youngster. And that interview was an interview with Playboy in September of 1980. And we all know in December, you know, just a few months after that interview is when he was assassinated. And it's just... It's sad to me to think what what person would he have grown to be if he was given that time to grow because he was clearly trying to. That doesn't excuse you know, being abusive, hitting people is not okay, hitting women is not okay. But who would he have been if he was given the time because he was clearly reflecting and clearly trying to not be that person. And it's just interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. I know. I always wonder what what he could have done with more years, you know, of his life. Um, because yeah, that is, yeah. I mean, he was trying to grow. He was trying to become a better person all through his life. So 
Yeah, I forgot about that song with those lyrics. I kind of just like write that one off in my head. I'm like, so like, oh, I don't like the song Run For Your Life. But that one, I'm just like, oh, it's just a lyric, you know, whatever. Um. <laughs> yeah, well, I've always really liked It's Getting Better, especially like if I'm in a bad mood or if I'm feeling down, I'll play it and I'll be like, it's all right. Things are going to get better. Like, but then that one line hits and I'm like, Ooh, that's not okay. <laughs> like when you view it from a modern lens, even when you view it from the lens back then, it shouldn't have been acceptable, but it got through. Um, but yeah. nowadays you listen to it and it's just uncomfortable to hear those lines written in that way. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if, on the opposite point of view, like if it shows this way of relating with other people who feel the same way John did, like I used to be cruel to my woman, like maybe, you know, people who act that way can listen to the song and be like, oh, I can get better. Or, you know, maybe there is like a, you know, a way that so those lyrics do hit people in a way that does make them want to get better or want to, you know, they see, they see that growth. They see that interview with John that you just said and like how he was trying to get better all the time. I mean, I mean, it is inexcusable. Like it's not, not okay to hit people, but I wonder like in his admission to it, he can like other people can relate to it who also feel the same way as him and then try to get better. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the <laughs> end all be all. That's the hope that, that, those lyrics would affect people that way yeah we're making it very clear domestic abuse is not okay has <laughs> never been but to your point that's that that is one of the reasons why i have such a problem with um the idolization of celebrities and not really allowing them room to grow is because people identify with these celebrities which is what makes them put them on a pedestal but if the people who are identifying with them are able to see that growth. It can help them grow. Even you have to show the dark parts of yourself. So people can identify and not feel like they're a lost cause because I feel like it's, it's easier when you just idolize this perfect version of them to think, Oh, well, I'm just never going to live up to that. Why try? But if you see the person that you identify with growing and changing and you see that they have the same problems that you and they are growing and reflecting, then you feel more empowered to do so yourself. And that's ultimately a good thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got really deep. <laughs> I love discussing <laughs> this kind of stuff. I think it's great. Um, yeah, it's... It's definitely interesting. And I know John comes up a lot in these uh, more kind of problematic lyrics in today's age. Um, a couple songs came up about his kind of jealous and possessive behavior that he wrote about. There's lyrics in I'll Cry Instead, lyrics in Help, and You've Got to Hide Your Love Away. That's kind of this more, has this more possessive kind of controlling attitude and his wife described or yeah, I should say his first wife Cynthia described um, those songs as reflecting the frustration he felt at the time because he was at the he was the idol of millions but the freedom and fun of the early days had gone so the song 
I'll cry instead. He sings, I've got every reason on earth to be mad because I just lost the only girl I had. And he's <laughs> then he says, if I could get my way, I'd get myself locked up today, but I can't, so I'll cry instead. So I'd, I mean, I'd get myself locked up today. That's a little like, what are you going to do to, you know, you're going to do something. Yeah, what well, the, the jail like implies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then he further goes on. Uh, this is an interesting lyric to go because he sings, I don't want to cry when people are there. I get shy when they start to stare. I'm going to hide myself away, but I'll come back again someday. And then he goes into another threat of when I do, you better hide all the girls. I'm going to break their hearts around the world. I'm going to break them in two and show you what your loving man can do. Until then, I'll cry instead. Just this lyric that's like, don't want to cry when people are there. I'm going to hide myself away. Like in that, you know, what do you do with these emotions? You kind of, you know, before now where I think it's a little more acceptable for men to express their feelings. Um, but it's still kind of this machoism and masculine, like masculinity that's hard to deal with where it's like, what do you do if you're feeling jealous or if you feel like you want to cry, you, you know, you just hide it, you just push it down. So I think that's mm -hmm. interesting that he put that in the song. Um, and then he like is going to come out and break the hearts of all the girls to get revenge or whatever, you know, like to feel better. But I don't know. I, th I thought that was interesting. Like the repressed, able to cry or deal with your feelings. Yeah. Yeah. It, because he does say, I'll just cry instead. Like it, it does show that it's okay to do that, but also it shows very unhealthy behaviors of, you know, gonna get locked up or what the line was that you said uh yeah. and then like i'll break all these hearts where it's like okay your heart's broken so instead of dealing with your emotions you're gonna go and just be toxic to a bunch of other people yeah uh it's interesting that those lyrics show that full spectrum of these very unhealthy coping behaviors but then also saying it's okay to cry right yeah that's what i was just gonna say like he's saying i'll cry instead but i also I'm going to hide myself away or, you know, you can't cry in front of other people. You can't show it. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. It's all part of that growth of like, how do you, yeah. How do you deal with hard feelings that come up or situations? And that song shows like, what do I do? You know, like what, what are you supposed to do when you feel mad or sad? You cry, but you can't cry in front of other people. Do you have any other? Well, you had mentioned his um, very uh, possessive use of language where it's very like threatening and, and aggressive. And uh, one of the ones that I had pulled up was you can't do that, which is mm. incredibly possessive and threatening. It's basically right. a stalker saying, I'm watching you. You're talking to this other guy. And you can't do that in the line. If I catch you talking to that boy again, I'm going to let you down. And it's just, yeah, it's, yeah, it's scary that that sort of sentiment was so common. Like that no one batted an eye at this song. Right. Like these lyrics are very threatening. Mm -hmm. And you don't really think about when you think of the Beatles and their music, you don't really think about how like dark some of them got. 
where right. like this is a very this is a very cute catchy song when you listen to it it's a very i was gonna say it's fun to dance to it is it's very fun to dance to and then with uh the last one where we talked about like unhealthy uh ways to manage getting mad norwegian wood is another one that is the story is basically he wants to sleep with this girl and she doesn't and so he burns her house down because he expected it to because uh he burns her house down uh she showed me her room isn't it good norwegian wood is like the first line or the first stanza and then at the end it says and when i woke i was alone the this bird had flown saying that she had left him because she said she was going to go to work in the morning and that's why she wasn't going to sleep with him that night she was like i've got to get up early so i lit a fire isn't it good norwegian wood and her home is the norwegian wood like she showed me her room the norwegian wood so i lit a fire oh i thought i was picturing a fireplace where he was just like chilling by himself in this house (laughs) huh so yeah that's possible like just waiting for it to come back but the way i interpret it was very aggressive and i'm angry because i expected her to do this thing and she didn't she left she left and so i'm lashing out i lit a fire isn't it good yeah yeah i can see that too that's interesting Yeah. yeah which definitely that that goes again into the you know possessiveness of some of these lyrics where you Mm -hmm. know i was biding my time like like he was expecting something from her no that's interesting though with the norwegian yeah the the interpretation of the lyrics is i mean that song is always i feel like i've had to look up what that song means a few times and i always forget like what i read i don't really know what he's talking about and then people are like oh it's inspired by did they go to India? Was it inspired by like the Maharishi or is that not that one? I'm not sure. Great. We're talking about Beatle, Beatle facts on our podcast and we don't know. <laughs> I don't know. The facts. There's just so many. I was looking up backgrounds <laughs> to some of these other songs and I really just pulled up the lyrics to this one. It, I don't know if it was one of those where it was inspired by something else, like how we talked earlier, where they didn't even really care for some of these lyrics. They just wrote it because that's what others were Mm -hmm. or if that was or just rhyme more yeah yeah well another one um to get off of the uh, get off john's back i guess is (laughs) a paul song (laughs) i had put this question out on facebook and i was like oh what songs like you know maybe hit you the wrong way that are written by the beatles you know and someone said she's a woman which i always thought was this more empowering song i was like oh is it like that's kind of a nice song where it's like he seems appreciative of his woman. You know, he's like, I don't know. Well, he starts by saying like, my love don't give me presents. I know she's no peasant only has to ever give me love forever and forever. So I was like, Oh, that's kind of nice. Right. He's not expecting anything from her. He's just like, you know, she doesn't give me presents, but she gives me love. Like that's kind of nice. And then it goes into, she don't give boys the eye. She hates to see me cry. She's happy just to hear me say that I will never leave her. She don't give boys the eye. She'll never make me jealous. And so maybe it's like something. And then the the um, chorus is, she's a woman who understands. She's a woman who loves her man. So maybe that, in that way, it's like, she's just existing to 
you know, make him happy or to like whatever he wants. Like she never looks at anyone else. She just, she's not allowed to make him jealous, but it might, I don't know. So that's like up to interpretation. Cause I kind of see it as like hmm. kind of a, not a bad relationship. It's like, he's not expecting her to give him presents. It's just like this kind of more an exchange of love. Well, he doesn't say anything about him giving her love, but <laughs> yeah, um, that's what I was going to say. I'm, I'm reading the lyrics along with you. I've got them pulled up and I would have to agree with your friend that said this one because every single line, anytime he talks about her, you know, she hates to see me cry. She is happy just to hear me say, you know, like it's all about him. Mm-hmm. There's nothing he says about this woman that has anything to do with her or her likes or her wants or her needs. Mm-hmm. It's all how it relates on what she can do for him. And right. so I agree that this one's a little cringy. I don't know, but I think it's more like a, uh, he's grateful for all these things about her. <laughs> Maybe I'm Yeah, but they're not about her. It doesn't seem like they're about her. It seems like they're about what she can give to oh, him. Oh, true. Yes. It's yeah. Yeah. In that way, it's like, I love her because she does all this stuff for me. Because mm-hmm. as we talked in the last episode I was on with something, it was like self-reflecting like, oh, there's something in the way she moves. And it's not necessarily that she's doing it for him. It's just her existing and he loves that about her. And whereas mm-hmm. this song, the lyrics are very much, what can she do for me that makes me feel good? Like the, mm-hmm. Rather than loving her or appreciating her mm-hmm. just for who she is alone as her right. own person. And maybe that's the difference between, I mean, there, there was a couple years difference between these songs, but also the difference between Paul writing and George's writing, where George is a little more mm-hmm. reflective yeah. and like maybe outwardly understanding or perceptive. And maybe John and Paul are a little more, self-interested or like more selfish in their lyrics and and especially in the you know because this is in the early Beatles days you know pre-66 67 where it kind of changes after that in in all their lyrics I definitely see that I definitely see that and I mean you've got a they were young boys in their early 20s yeah when the, you know they, when when they were writing these songs so it does make sense that they would have that sort of view on life and women that you know what can they give to me or like how am i benefiting from this but yeah i definitely paul has has one of the other common themes when i was looking up lyrics that didn't you know that just kind of hit me wrong or didn't age well um this was less of lyrics and more of a theme and this showed up a lot in paul's songwriting to like you said get off john's back a little is he they use the word girl I know this one is she's a woman, but throughout, especially in the early days, they use girl a lot. Mm -hmm. And just that word choice, it just seems to kind of infantilize these women and make them seem less than, you know, like that, that's a Mm. choice using the word girl, calling her girl instead of woman or her or, you know, whatever. Or using a name, as you say. Or using a name, like I said, in the later years, they use names a lot more than they use the word girl. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. And then that also, when you hear girl, it implies younger. Mm 
mm-hmm. like it implies a, a girl and so like that she was just 17 right. it always creeps me out and there's there's one song called little child that i had not heard of but i Whoa. listened to it right and it literally child you're using the word child and it's implied that is it is a romantic relationship like baby give me a chance little child Mm -hmm. and it's so uncomfortable to listen to that and i think that's a common theme where women and all of these songs most of them are very romantic in theme there's also allusions to sexual relationships in these you know like she holds me all through the night and you're using the word girl and in some cases child which is just perpetuating this very gross idea of you know grown men being attracted to younger girls and teenagers yeah which i will say in paul's defense on the when i saw her standing there i did look it up and he was 20 when he wrote that Mm -hmm. his girlfriend was 17 and at the time in the UK, the like legal age was 21. So he was also still a minor. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that makes it okay then. But now Paul is singing it on tour. <laughs> yeah. Like when he wrote it, he was still a minor dating a minor. But then as the, the song then takes on a life of its own. And so you've got grown adults singing, well, she was just 17. You know what I mean? And little child, you know, give me a chance, baby. And it's such an uncomfortable state of mind that a lot of people think that that's okay. And they don't see the nuance of like, oh, well, they were children when they wrote this. Right. Yeah. Because they were like for, I mean, little child, I've never thought of that. I'm just like, oh, it's just a song that's fun to dance to or whatever. Like, so I've never, I had never thought about that one, but it is kind of weird. I mean, they did write it when they were younger you know in 63 or whatever but but still yes to refer to someone as child like that who you're attracted to that's kind of weird but we use like but then also we use the word baby in songs all the time which is that wrong to say like is that worse to say or is child worse to say than baby I think it is but it brings up why is baby okay to say in any song now? <laughs> You're right. Like, why has baby become this? It's a it's a endearing term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's become completely acceptable. And we understand yeah. when you say baby that you're talking about like a romantic partner, right? And it's not like, oh, I I wish you were a baby, or like I I don't know. Obviously, we know like we're not talking to a baby. <laughs> I I would argue that that the reason that it has that term is such an acceptable term of endearment probably goes back to these types of cringy little child type of sexualizing younger women. And it's just so commonplace. It's just so commonplace and popularized that we don't even see a problem with it. Yeah. And now it's copied a lot in newer in any song now it's still yeah well especially maybe not child i mean little child is a little a little different and cringy. <laughs> yeah no but it just seems like there were all of these cringy themes and baby was just used so much by everyone that it just became acceptable mm-hmm. but i think it's still its roots are in that cringe area <laughs> that kind of 50s yeah 
50s rock and roll music or like when everything exploded with rock music in the 50s I don't know that'd be that's interesting who knew we were going to get into this (laughs) (laughs) started with problematic lyrics and now we're talking about how language evolves yeah it definitely has evolved into something that it doesn't it's not problematic but the roots of it are Mm -hmm. I would say probably are yeah. I don't know when baby was first used. I'll have to research that and I see know, when it was first true. used as a term of endearment because it's just so much in our consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's been a term like that forever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you think? Should the Beatles be uh, canceled? Do you think the Beatles would be canceled this day and age for these songs? Hmm. I'm not sure if they would be canceled, but I think they would definitely have a lot more pushback. Mm-hmm. now it, you know with these lyrics i'm not sure that they would exist in the same way like they wouldn't write these lyrics if they existed now right yeah so it's kind of you can't really argue what it would be like if this came out now because it wouldn't come out now yeah yeah you know i agree it was that time period where that was that was what people were writing and that was what people wanted to hear. And, and now it's not. Yeah. So, I mean, it just goes to show like, cause obviously I don't think we should cancel the Beatles, even specific songs. That- that are cringy. I don't think that song should be canceled. Just, being able to hold two things as true at the same time, being able to understand that we love the Beatles, their music was great and, and it definitely contributed to the music that exists today. And also that they were three dimensional people that were not always perfect Mm -hmm. and that there were some problematic things that they did and said. I think you said it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree too. I don't think they would. Yeah. Obviously we're not going to cancel, not going to cancel the Beatles because of these songs there's there's a place for them there's a reason we love them and we wouldn't be here you we wouldn't be talking to you guys we wouldn't We'd all be out of a job <laughs> true true yeah. <laughs> but it's it's fun to like discuss it i think it's interesting to think about it critically you know and not just take it at face value and even like yeah just like you made me realize this thing about little child like oh that is kind of odd but you know i'm not gonna not ever listen to that song again i'm just Mm -hmm. gonna listen to it and be like oh it's a little weird that they sang that but i can dance to this it's okay (laughs) yeah i can still listen to it's getting better and still not like that line Mm -hmm. yeah good discussion we'll have to do more of these analyzing beetle lyrics and in-depth discussions like this i think this is super fascinating so Thanks for having this discussion with me. Yeah, it's really fun. I love being on the podcast and, and, you know, being able to actually voice my opinion rather than just editing everything down. This is really fun. I know. Yeah, yeah. We'll have more interviews with you. Thanks for tuning in to Something Will Happen. Remember that Abbey Road on the River is happening May 26th to 30th, 2022 in Jeffersonville, Indiana. To start making your plans, head over to AROTR.com. There you can see the full lineup of bands that are coming, check out shows we're planning, 
book your hotels, and grab your tickets while you're there. Head over to arotr.com slash podcast and enter your email to get $5 of Beetle Bucks to use at the festival for food, drinks, and our exclusive festival merchandise. For the most up-to-date information, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. We'll see you in May. Something will happen.